For those of you, if you're a history lesson, Winston Churchill gave a very famous speech. I believe it was here in the United States, or was it in England? It was in England. But he said, we will never, never give up, never give up, never give up, never, ever, ever, never give up. I mean, it was just, that was his speech. <laughs> so, God never gives up. Amen? Amen. All right. Mr. Bowen, you have someone taking care of that. Come take your place. So I'm, I'm so excited to be here tonight because I'm not in jail facing life in prison. <laughs> that's funny because that's where I used to be when I was 21. I was facing life in prison. And I met Jesus in a radical way. And I'm so glad I'm not there anymore. So glad to be here with you guys. Ah! <laughs> Thank you. Woo! I am so... Can you go ahead and turn that on, please? So happy about tonight. And Chips, if you can get the, get the lights, please. Chips. Chips. Ah, oh, that's nice. Chips. Extravagance. Extravagance. That's, I, just, I just love my sister-in-law and brother-in-law, Jason, so much, and Elizabeth. They're amazing. God, extravagance. Come on. Come on. I really do feel like um, God wants to challenge. And, and listen, we're going to stay out of the box all night, so it's okay. I mean, what is the box anyway? It's a paradigm. Everybody has their own little box of where they live, what they think, how they view the world, what the filter is that we view the world through. And tonight, I really feel like, you know, the verse um, about God offending the mind to reveal what's in our hearts How many of y'all have been offended this week by anything? One, two, three. Well, those of you who did not raise your hand, the week is not over yet. And so don't get upset that you've missed out. (laughs) Because when the offense comes, there's this opportunity for us to engage God right there. Why Why would that offend me, that circumstance? Why would that conversation, why would that action really offend me. And, and I believe that tonight, um, some of you might get offended, but it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I'm not going to try on purpose to offend you, but, you know, chip happens. I mean, here we go. No, but um, I have had just the most bizarre couple of weeks where I feel like, I'm entering into this new dream that I didn't know how to dream. And, and God's just like, whoosh. And it's been utterly overwhelming and an amazing sort of fantasy, Disney World sort of way with my business. And just, I mean, he's been flipping me upside down. I am, in, in a nutshell, I, he has me really thinking about competition. And a year ago, April, my biggest client, who's an oil pipeline company in Houston, we do custom web solutions. I own a company that does custom web solutions. And my biggest client hired the number one design firm in Houston to partner with me to do their new web solution. Yay! And I was offended. (laughs) This was a year ago, April. Because I looked up the email and, and sort of retrospect sort of deal. And so I'm talking with the owner of this, you know, they were voted four years in a row, number one design firm in Houston. And my client's like, so I want you to partner with them and to work with them. They're going to design our new web solution and y'all are going to code it out. And I was like, yeah, no problem. We're team players. We'll do it, you know. And I hung up the phone. I was like, that's my biggest client. And here they are partnering with the number one design firm in Houston. And I was like, ah. 
And we're on vacation at the time. You know, those phone calls. On vacation. And Lisa's like, don't worry about it. You know, we're on vacation. We're in the mountains, you know, at RTF. And y'all will find out more about RTF next weekend. So next weekend when uh, Chester Kalser speaks on Sunday morning. And it stands for Restoring the Foundations, all about aligning our lives and the foundations of our lives. And it's going to be amazing. But I, I just got so offended. Bye, Seth. Love you, man. Bless you. <laughs> so anyway, I went through this thing a year ago, and it ended up working amazing. You know, we were talking about it, and they designed it, and we put it out, and blah, 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 blah. Well, anyway, I went on to LinkedIn the other day because my, I need to research something for my clients. I actually joined LinkedIn, and I didn't really mean to join, but I did. And then I started getting like, <sighs> well, you've been sending me one. I got like eight from you in the past. <laughs> So I was like, Jason keeps sending me these LinkedIn things. Like, I don't see him enough. He wants to see me online now. No. <laughs> I know. And so, like, within 15 minutes, I had, like, 45 connections. And so I called my content writer. I was like, listen, it's so hard for me to write about myself. Will you write about me? He was like, yeah. All the brilliant people I know, it's really hard for them to write about themselves. And I was like, thanks. I appreciate it. So I called Chip. Hey, can you write something about me? Help. And uh, anyway, so within that half an hour, got boom, this guy from Houston, top design firm, you know, connection. Then he sends me an email, hey, we need to talk tomorrow. It's like, okay. So talked with him the next day, and he was just going 1,000 miles an hour. And he was like, listen, we want to check you out, and we want to pursue you as a company. And we want your company to possibly handle all of our development, all of our coding, all of our SEO work, all of our e-commerce stuff. And we want to take our company to the next level. So basically, we would like to white-label you and for you to come up under us and empower us. And here's the same company that a year ago I felt like was a competitor. And a year later, here's the same company going, we want to take you to a new level, and we need you to take us to a new level. And I've had two things like that happen recently. And so I know that God's flipping my world with and offending my mind, really, to reveal my heart. Because what is bigger? What we feel like is a competition, whether it's like a train of thought or a doctrine or a belief system or a person or a company or someone running against you in a race. But God's kingdom is so drastically different sometimes from the way that we look. So tonight, we have a very short time to go on a journey. And this is going to be a kingdom journey. And so it's 8.20. How long should I have? 9 o'clock. Okay. 9 a.m. I can do that. Don't tempt me. So, extravagant living. We're talking about shifting paradigms. We're talking about shifting the boxes of what we feel like we know, what we're used to. How we have thought for so long. Our expectations. How we limit God. How we, how we tangibly hold on to our dreams. But yet, we're connected with an infinite God who breathes dreams. When he dances, he dances dreams. He doesn't even have feet thongs. Caleb has feet, foot thongs. And so they allow you to spin easier. I can only get like one and three quarters of a... And I was like, Caleb needs hand thongs when he's doing the deal so he doesn't get bruises on there. So I wonder if they make those. We're out of the box already. We need new paradigms. We desperately need new paradigms to walk with the Lord. And, and to Did that offend you, Caleb? Okay, good. Good. I've been laughing all night. They're really remarkable. I need a pair of those. They're pretty amazing. We desperately need new paradigms. You can't anymore read that. So there's the definition. 
Okay, you'll just have to trust me. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a typical example of something or a model. And it's a worldview underlying theories or methodology of a particular scientific subject. The English definition, because that was not the English definition. <laughs> the English definition of, that was a paradigm, this is extravagance. Lacking restraint in spending money or using resources, costing too much money, or exceeding what is reasonable or appropriate. Absurd. And that's what I feel like God is and God does sometimes. Because of who he is and his nature, his nature is extravagant. When he sent his son, Jesus, to the earth, that was extravagance. When Jesus laid down his life on on the cross and he died for us, that was extravagant love. And I would say and I would challenge myself that if we're not living a life of extravagance, what are we doing? I believe that it is so easy in this day and age to become caught up in the world system that we forget how to be extravagant. We forget about creativity. We forget about our dreams. We forget about the God-breathed word and the destiny that he's put in our hearts. We forget that our bank account is not our own. We forget that our cars are not our own. We forget that this breath that we're taking really is not our own. We forget about this life of extravagance that we have had breathed into us and that we can partner with God as we walk through our life. But I know, I know that God has called us to a life of extravagance. So we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. It's expensive to live this way. It is very costly. It's high priced. It's valuable. It's precious. And an antonym, it cost the earth. An antonym of that would be it's cheap. But it does cost the earth to live an extravagant lifestyle. There you go. Guys should have read all that while I was doing it. Brain surgery. <laughs> Is everyone sitting close to someone? Ms. Kucharski, we need to be next to someone. Is that okay? Rifle, can we be next to someone? Everyone be with next to someone, please. We're going to do some brain surgery. I need the volume for this, please. And since this is not Sunday morning, we're not doing it on a Sunday morning. We're going to do it on a Friday night. Because it's Friday night. I need a football. That about tore my pa- that about tore my pad off. Look at somebody behind you and say in a matter of minutes. Glory to Jesus. <laughs> in a matter of minutes. Praise God. What if he could do like brain surgery on you in just a matter of minutes and fix your brain <laughs> so it thinks right. Brain surgery. <laughs> Brain surgery. 
Lord to help me, Jesus. Should be in a book. <laughs> I'm Exodus chapter two. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Man, oh man. <laughs> Just shake somebody's hand and say, "Man, you need to Jesus help me. <laughs> oh, we're trying to preach tonight. It just got off there in a little thing there. Just, just kind of slipped off a little bit, but I'm back. <laughs> Exodus chapter 2. I'm not good this way. I'm not good this way. <laughs> This makes me very inadequate, Lord. <laughs> I gotta be serious, Jesus. Help me, Lord. My Lord. Ugh. My family love listening to that. And we'll put it on first thing in the morning when we're eating breakfast. <sighs> and it just helps the day. Just sort of get off to a good foot. I have no idea who this guy is. He's trying to preach on Exodus chapter 2, where the Lord was hearing the cry of the Israelites. And obviously this did not come out the way that he thought it should come out. 
And what's so interesting and I love about this is he makes this shift about five or six minutes into it. Jason sent it to us like, I don't know, a year or so ago. And I think we got it from the Bethel Leadership Guild. Is that where you got it from? And um, he makes this shift where he's, you could hear him really struggling with this. And he, the Holy Spirit was on him so strong, and he was laughing, but he was really struggling. And he was like, I can't do it this way. I, I can't, I can't, because we have our own plans. We have our own paradigms. We have our own way of thinking of the, how things should go. And then he's, then he's like, I'm no good this way, Jesus. And then he just gives in. And it's like you can feel the atmosphere shift when he gives in. So we're going to talk a little bit about, oh, tonight I actually do have some scriptures. <laughs> about giving in. Because... <laughs> the kingdom is so radical. It is so radically different. And so we're going to start in um, funny. I have too many buttons up here. Not funny. Woo! Thank you. I did this a year ago, so I was preparing a year ago. Not really, I'm just kidding. I mean, I did do it a year ago, but I, I spoke it a year ago. Um, so Romans 8, 6 through 9. Now the mind of the flesh, which is sense and reason without the Holy Spirit, is death. Death that comprises all the miseries arising from sin, both here and hereafter. But the mind of the Holy Spirit is life and soul, peace both now and forever. That is because the mind of the flesh, with its carnal thoughts and purposes, is hostile to God. For it does not submit itself to God's law, and indeed it cannot. So then those who are living the life of the flesh and catering to the appetites and impulses of their carnal nature cannot please or satisfy God or be acceptable to Him. But you speaking to believers, speaking to the church. You are not living the life of the flesh. You are living the life of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. If the Holy Spirit of God really dwells within you and directs and controls you. But if anyone does not possess the Holy Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. He does not belong to Christ and is not truly a child of God. It's interesting that we cannot live according to the Spirit until we are full of His Spirit. And before that, we're controlled by our carnal nature and cannot please God. But when we are full of His Spirit, when we're His sons, when we've been adopted, when we have Jesus inside of us and His Holy Spirit filling our lives, then we can please God. And we are pleasing to God just by being who we are. I remember the first time that I went um, on an airplane far away. I went to India. And there were some fairly bizarre things that happened on the airplane on the way to India. And, and it took, I don't know, 28 hours or something to get there. So if we're in Virginia, we're talking, you know, just circle the globe. You get to India, or I got to India. It's hard to believe India is on the same planet as the United States. I mean, just radically different. Um, spent a month in India, and it was amazing. It was my first time going overseas, and I was really wrestling with marrying your sister. And that was <laughs> that was that was what was on my heart, and it was like this big fat, hairy deal about, you know, hairy, big, fat, hairy deal. It was like this thing of me really wrestling with the fear of whether I really loved her and and whether or not this was God's will for my life, whether or not God was speaking to me about marrying Lisa. And and I went, um, did y'all ever meet Burl, Burl Webb? Okay. Um, you, you weren't in the picture until Toronto. Um, 
a guy that I had met at Randy, some Randy Clark meetings back in 1996. He was mentoring me, and he was sort of like a pastor to me. He went to India, and I went with him and like two other people. We were sitting on a plane, and he was like, Scott, man, you are just over-spiritualizing everything. Is that better? Perfect. Is that better? Is it bent good or no? Better? Better. And so Burl, his name was Burl Webb. And he grew up in West Virginia. And it was like B-U-R-L, Burl. Burl. And I had the most fun in India because I had to translate in between him and our Indian translators. Because his accent was so bad and so woodsy. And the people in India were like, is he speaking English? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know, but I can understand him a little bit. And, it, and he had this sense of humor where he would tell, like, anti-cultural cow jokes everywhere we went in India. You know, like, what do you get if you have a cow with two-inch legs? At least, you know, we're in India. <laughs> I mean, we were around Christians in India, so they ate cow, no big deal. But the other people, you know, cows were sacred in Hinduism and, and everything, and um, the cows were everywhere. And they were decorating them and feeding them and giving them necklaces and stuff like that. And so Burr was like, what do you get when you got a cow with two-inch legs? <laughs> He's like, you got to utter drag. <laughs> You know, trying to humor this guy from America. And he would just tell cow jokes all the time. And it was such a funny deal. But we went. <laughs> and, <laughs> and in the meantime, I, I remember the Lord really offending me and my paradigm of who he was and how he spoke to me. Because I was waiting for the Lord to say, Scott. You are supposed to marry Lisa. She is the one I have created to be your helpmate. You know, how we think God's supposed to speak to us, and, or at least maybe I'm the only one that does that. Um, and he was totally offending my holy reverence of, you know, how he's supposed to meet me and relate to me as a son. But he was, he, was, he was offending this paradigm, this box that I had of him and how he communicated to me to reveal my heart and whether or not my heart was in communion with him, whether or not my heart was in a relationship and in intimate communion with God more than my paradigm of how God was supposed to speak to me. Does that, did that make sense? Not really. Sort of. It made sense. It just wasn't that good. (laughs) He was offending the way that I thought that I should hear from him in order to expand the capacity of my heart so that I could hear from him in other ways. And it was, that was a lot better. That other thing was like ethereal and detailed. Time for another cow joke. But we, one of the places we went in India, and I was the only one that was sleeping on the trip because I had my headphones and the old school Walkman and my cassette tapes, and I would loop the Kevin Prosh and David Roos cassette tapes all night long. And I was rocking out, sleeping, and I was the only one on the team sleeping because everyone else didn't bring a Walkman. And there are no glass in the windows anywhere we went. And so they would play Hindi worship music and all sorts of call to worship at like 2 a.m. And all the hairs on the back of your neck would be like, and just, I mean, just bizarre stuff. So everyone was sort of freaking out and weirding out because no one was sleeping except for me. But I was having the time of my life in India. And the, the people from India, the guy we were staying with, his name was Hallelujah Israel. 
And he was an amazing. So it took me a while to, I was like, hallelujah. He was like, yes, hello. You know, and he had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And, and the guy who helped t- take care of the house, his name was Lazarus. And he actually died when he was three days old and they resurrected him from the dead. They prayed, and they were like, in the name of Jesus, you're, you have a destiny on your life. And he came back to life. So they were like, your name is Lazarus from now on. You know? <laughs> you know. And they had a brother who was a doctor. His name was Luke. And it was just the way it goes. I mean, we went over there, and hmm? it was awesome. They had us go to the baptism service, and we got to name people. Because when they come out of Hinduism, their family cuts them off and um, you know, they're no longer alive, really, if they convert to Christianity. And so when they came out of the, the water, they're like, what's his name? And so we're like, John, you know. And they're like, well, from now on, you are John, you know. And so it's like this really awesome trip. But they're like, so we're going to the leper colony. And you Americans can come with us if you want to, but we understand. And so you don't really need to come with us. But we're going, this is what we do, this, you know, we go around to different communities. And he actually oversaw a thousand different church bodies in India where we were staying. And so they would travel all over the country. So they took us to this leper colony. So it was like an hour drive. And if you've ever been anywhere other than Europe and the United States and Hawaii and places that have, you know, highways... I guess a lot of Asia has highways, but a lot of it doesn't. I mean, it's like potholes, cows, water buffalo, rice paddies everywhere, and you're just like, you know, you feel like your bare grills going through someplace. And we were driving through a typhoon, so it was purple and just winds and typhoon rain. And we get to the leper colony, and everyone's about car sick anyway because it was an hour and a half drive. And we get out in the middle of a typhoon, and the sky's purple and black. And the whole leper colony, about 80 people, everyone had leprosy. They were all Christian believers. They had generationally, their whole village had gotten saved. But the only job that they could have and maintain was guarding the fruit orchards at night. Because no one wanted to get close to a leper. So they were hired to guard the fruit orchards for all the fruit growers in the area. And that was their job. And we get out of the car and they met us with worship singing and music and praising Jesus that we had come. And they put flower lays on our neck. And I was just like, floods and floods of tears were released by Scott that night. And they were some of the happiest people I've ever met on this earth. You know, and there's this mystery about extravagance. There's this mystery about relationship with Jesus where it has nothing to do in some ways with what's in our bank account. It has nothing to do with the plans that we have or the house that we have or anything that deals with the American dream. And it's a mystery. I've been confounded by it time and time and time again about the extravagance of God and his relationship with a human being. And here these people were. And so they took us into their church, and it was probably this wide and maybe you know this long to the back and, and that wide. And there were probably 100 to 200, I don't know, I said 80, so I'll guess 80. 80 lepers in this room. And us, you know, from America, sitting up front with Hallelujah Israel. And he's like, so Scott, Scott has come all the way from America. Do you have something you want to share? And I was like, weeping, weeping. And God's love for these people. Absolutely amazing, extravagant love for these people. So I shared everything I could get out of my blubbery mouth with, you know, just weeping with God's love that night and just let them know that he loves them so much. We prayed for healing. We, you know, laid hands on him and and stuff like that. But just the extravagance 
of their life of worship and the joy that they received us with. So extravagance goes over. Oh, spiritual lepers. I want to remind you that everywhere you go, there are spiritual lepers around you. There are people that don't know the Lord and who are really hurting, really can't feel certain parts of their life. And it's up to us and the extravagance that God has put inside of us to reach out to these people everywhere we go. So I want to talk about extravagance with money some. Mark twelve forty one through 44. When he sat down, Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and saw how the crowd was casting money into the treasury. And many rich people were throwing in large sums of money. And a widow who was poverty stricken came in and put in two copper mites, the smallest of coins, which together make a half a cent. And he called to his disciples And he said to them, truly and surely, I tell you, this widow, she who is poverty stricken, has put in more than all of these contributing to the treasury. For they all threw in out of their abundance. But she, out of her deep poverty, has put in everything that she had and even what she had which to live. I mean, talk about offending some people. Jesus said it's not about how much you have, but it's about the extravagance of giving from where you are, which is different. He wasn't saying it was bad to have money. He wasn't saying it's bad to be poverty-stricken. He was saying it's about giving out of extravagance. It's about giving and living out of a place where God controls. Where God has free room and free reign, R-E-I-G-N, of our wallet. And living in a place of extravagance where the Lord can use us as an instrument and in what he has entrusted to us. Lisa Every time I turn around, it's like Lisa's watching Rodney Howard Brown do something. There's some teaching, and I love it. But he was doing this teaching on giving, and and he has this saying, you know, God will give to us anything that he can give through us. I just love that. I, I love the transparency and the openness where when we're trusted with little, God can trust us with much. Because it's not about the amount of commas in your bank account. It's about where your heart is, where the treasure is. What do we put, what do we label in our heart, the paradigm of our heart? What is a treasure in our heart? Because God will give anything to us that he can give through us. I love that. Thank you, Rodney. So extravagant giving, giving it all. Let's look at, at, a, at another example. Oh, you know what? That's where the mistake was a year ago. So extravagant belief, giving it all. So in 1 Kings 17, Elijah, a prophet of God, was at the brook. And there was a famine in the land. Excuse me while I catch up. But the Lord had led Elijah to a brook, and he was being fed bread and flesh in the morning at night. I believe ravens. Was it ravens? This is a story where ravens, God would command the ravens to bring the prophet of God bread and meat. And so God was providing for Elijah. So then the brook dries up. And the prophet of God is wondering what to do. It's in the middle of a drought. And there was death all around. 
There was no hope in the region where Elijah was. And this is in 1 Kings 9, or 17, 9 through 16. And the Lord spoke to Elijah, and he said, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow to provide for you. So he arose and he went to Zarephath, and he came to the gate of the city. Behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her, Bring me water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called again to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have not a loaf baked, but only a handful of meal in a jar with a little oil in a bottle. And see, even now I'm gathering two sticks that I might go and bake it for me and my son that we may eat it and then die. (laughs) What in the world was God thinking? That he would command a prophet in the Old Testament times, someone who heard the voice of the Lord and walked according to the revelation and lived their life out in the open And the revelation unfolded before the people of the word being manifested that was in their heart. The Lord said, go to this widow because I want the widow to provide for you. But here is this huge paradigm shift. Because God knew that the widow and her son were about to die. But he sends her Elijah. He sends her the word of the Lord. He sends her his extravagance. There's a duplicate. Do I have the rest of the story? No, I don't. Funny. So in this story, God knew that this widow needed provision, and he sent provision to her through the prophet of God. Because when she went and got what little she had and gave it to the prophet of God, Everything that she had overflowed. Her oil overflowed. Her meal overflowed. They were no longer in lack, even though they were in the middle of a drought, because God sent his kingdom to her. Is that the wrong reference, Chip? Okay. God sent his provision to her. Through the prophet. And when the prophet called out to her, bring me food. She was like, all I have is a little bit. I'm going to eat it in my son and then we're going to die. And he was like, bring it to me. And when she gave extravagantly, when she gave out of provision, she gave her own provision in this time to provide for a prophet of God, provision came to her house. And I'm here to tell you that We are called to live this way. We're called to be extravagant. To live out of a place of the heart where when the kingdom comes, we enter into the kingdom by engaging it with extravagance. We enter into the kingdom by engaging it with extravagance. If we have a lot of money... And even if we give a lot of money, if we're not living in extravagance, what good is it? If we don't have a lot of money and we're not giving a lot of money, (laughs) see, it's not about your bank account. (laughs) It's not about how much or how little or anywhere in the middle. It's about where your heart finds a treasure. And out of that, with extravagance, pulling on the kingdom and bringing it into our lives. One more. Ooh. Where would I go? Ooh, boop. There you go. Extravagant worship. 
flipping back to the New Testament. Would you put me on extravagant worship, please? No. 23. So in the New Testament, Matthew 26, 6 through 13. Thank you. Now, when Jesus came back to Bethany, and it was the house of Simon the leper, A woman came to him with an alabaster flask of very precious perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant, saying, For what purpose is all this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a large sum of money and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, fully aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother the woman? She has done a noble, a praiseworthy, and a beautiful thing to me. For you always will have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And in pouring out this perfume on my body, she has done something to prepare me for my burial. For truly I tell you, wherever this good news, the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told also in memory of her. She gave everything she had. She, she wasted seemingly everything she had on Jesus and on his feet. But yet in her extravagance, in her worship, Jesus says wherever the good news is told, wherever the gospel is shared, she will be a memory. Her example of extravagance. So I just wanted to share tonight and challenge you, even as I'm open to being challenged by coming to Harvest Renewal Church and being among this body. I open myself to be challenged because I want to live a life of extravagance. I I want to give extravagantly. I love giving extravagantly because I love receiving extravagantly. Come on. It's all connected. You know? How can we receive extravagantly if we don't know how to give extravagantly? It's the same thing. So God, I ask even tonight that you would do a work in our hearts. God, I thank you for the work that you have done tonight, God, for the extravagance of your heart, the shifting of paradigms, for sending the the word picture through song of of you blowing the winds of heaven into our heart and expanding the territory of our heart. God, we're asking that you would continue to give us eyes to see you and, and ears to hear you in these seasons. That we would be known as people who live lives of extravagant worship, extravagant love, extravagant giving, just lies of extravagant, that we would be known just like Jesus who walked this earth and and his extravagance was told city to city. God, thanks. God, I, I, I thank you that you let our mind, our carnal nature be washed away and be put away and that you've given us lives of the Spirit. But even if we ever get trapped in a mindset that's not of you, you allow that thing to be offended, to refill our hearts and where we are, God. Jason, do you mind coming back up? Um, 
instead of giving a big ordeal about get, uh, taking up an offering, which we do that during Father's Heart anyway, um, I think it's important that in the context of, of what Scott was sharing is that we respond with extravagance to the Lord. Um, and to worship God, is it is a matter of the heart. It is a matter of lifestyle. It's not just Sunday morning. It's not just giving into an offering bag. All those, th- all those things are important, but we can respond to God and worship extravagantly. And so I'm going to leave the offering bag right here. And what we're going to worship. And if worshiping extravagantly means you giving an offering, if it means you pouring out the oil of your heart upon his head or his feet and worshiping him, then I exhort you, let's, give, let's live extravagantly with him and give extravagantly to him because he's given so extravagantly to us. Amen? Amen. So, Father, we just come before you. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that you are abounding. There is no lack found in you. There is absolutely no lack found in you. Wherever you go, there's multiplication. Wherever you go, there's exponential increase. That out of nothing you spoke in stars and galaxies and space and time and gravity came to being out of your mouth. You breathed stars into existence. And out of your abundance, you created us to be in relationship, in fellowship, made of the same substance, the pneuma, the spirit you breathed into Adam, you have given back to us through Holy Spirit. You're lavish. You're extravagant. We worship you. Thank mm-hmm. you.